Welcome to the Outthinkers Podcast. Plug into fascinating minds and breakthrough ideas that are transforming industries and the world. I'm your host, Kyan Krippendorf, founder of Outthinker Networks, a global think tank comprised of corporate strategists, innovators, and entrepreneurs that are shaping the future of business. If this describes you, join us at outthinker.com. Now let's dive into this week's episode. Yeah, so there's this whole concept of communication amongst humans, somewhere between 50 and 75% of communication between humans when they're having a conversation is nonverbal. And we're getting there with machines, right? Like if you enter your password incorrectly, your phone vibrates, there's a whole emerging set of communications between humans and devices. And what's really interesting to me is throughout history, communication has been a call and response mechanic, right? I say something, you respond, you say something, I respond. But with multimodal, you can be talking to your smartphone or your computer and it's reacting real time. And so now we have this emerging concurrent communication, which really tightens up the communication cycle even more. That was Tobias Dengel, president of Willow Tree, a TELUS international company, a global leader in digital product design. He is the recent author with co-author Carl Weber of The Sound of the Future, The Coming Age of Voice Technology. It dives deep into the sweeping changes we can expect as voice technology gains traction. In full disclosure, I graduated from college with Tobias and followed his fascinating career ever since. As you heard in the highlighted clip, Tobias's insights will really open up your imagination around the future of human-machine communication, particularly around how voice technology, accelerated by recent developments in AI, have the potential to radically alter the way we live and how companies do business. In this episode, we discuss several topics from his book, including how voice technology offers a significant advantage in communication efficiency and why, therefore, it will drastically improve productivity across our lives and in many sectors. Why this efficiency applies more to humans communicating with machines and not so much the other way around. How our interactions with machines will transition from being unimodal to multimodal with machines reacting in real time to our requests in multiple formats. What individuals can expect will change with everyday tasks and jobs and for business leaders where to anticipate opportunities for adoption of voice technology in your company. How this next technological revolution will mirror the smartphone in many ways and how it will differ. Ladies and gentlemen, Tobias Dengel. Well, Tobias, thank you so much for being here. It is great to see you again, and I'm excited to dig in. Where are you dialing in from? I'm in from Charlottesville, Virginia, where we are headquartered. Oh, great. I've got so much I want to cover with you, so I'm going to jump right in. I'm going to open up with the same two questions I ask all of our guests. The first one, just just for us to get to know you a little better personally, I should say to our guests that we went to school together. If anyone sees the recording, we're not, we're not recording the video to be transmitted, but we use little clips. They'll see my pen logo on my shirt, and we both went to pen together. And so it's really nice to see you again. It's great to be here. Awesome. So first question, if you complete the sentence for me, if you really know me, you know that. I love The Clash. Oh, I love The Clash. Yes. What's your song? You know, I, there are so many, but I love Clampdown. I love a lot of the songs on the Sandinista album, which mm. that's some deep tracks there. 
Gotcha. Lose This Skin is one of my favorite songs off mm. Sanity. I love, I, I don't know, it was the first album I ever bought and it kind of goes, you know, I'm sure there's lots of theories as to how that works in the human brain, but Combat Rock was the first album I bought as a kid and mm-hmm. I am a clash addict to this day. Wow. This is a topic on strategy. You've led businesses, you've built businesses, especially technology businesses, certainly think a lot about strategy and thought about it. Maybe it's not like the central thing that you do, but you are a strategist. So what's your definition of strategy? So one of my favorite quotes is a Yogi Berra quote, and there are many great Yogi Berra (laughs) quotes. My favorite is, in theory, there's no difference between theory and practice, but in practice there is. And so (laughs) to me... Yeah, to me, a great strategy is where theory meets practice. And we're constantly, you know, I'm constantly looking at where the theoretical evolution of technology currently is, but the strategy is how do you apply that in practice for your own business or for your clients? And so that meeting of theory and practice to me is is the center point of a good strategy. Mm, I like that. So it's not theory by itself. It's not practice by itself. It's the, the requisite of having both. Good. Perfect. Love it. So let's talk about voice. Why is voice an advantage? So the core reason we all want to use voice interfaces with our devices is it's three times as fast to speak as it is to type. And on, on a device, it might be five times as fast. That's why we are so tempted to speak into our smartphones all the time. You see it driving down the street, you see it walk down the sidewalk. The problem is it's also much faster, about three times as fast to read as it is to listen. So the core problem with all the voice applications to date have been that we've tried to simulate a human conversation, which is actually not super efficient. What we want to do is speak to machines, but then have the machines either do things or respond graphically to us, read something, et cetera. And this multimodal approach to human-machine interaction is where we believe the future is, and it's going to be the real breakthrough. And so once you, once you get your ha- head around that, then all of a sudden, a lot of things start to open up in terms of how this is all going to work. Fascinating. Well, that's, that, that kind of blows my mind, because I, I think that most of our interactions we assume are unimodal, that if I'm voice, then I'm receiving voice. If I'm reading, if I'm typing, then I'm receiving. But that makes a lot of sense. Why is this efficiency of communication so important? Because I was reading your book, I was thinking that first we were just grunting and giving symbols, and then we learned a verbal language, and then we learned a written language. And these kind of surges in human development can correspond with these adoption of new communication modes. Could you talk to us a little bit about that? Why is this efficiency of communication important? Yeah, so every breakthrough that we look at in terms of communication is about speed, right? I mean, years ago, communications were about as fast as a horse could move across the planet. That's how fast information flowed. And then we got wired together first through the telegraph, et cetera. And so everything is about speed of communication. But where the human communication with machines has really stagnated is that we're basically still using keyboards that were invented, I mean, for typewriters 150 years ago. And because they existed, they've been the primary way. Now we, of course, tap and swipe and and use mice, but the keyboard is the primary way. And it's just, there's been no evolution in that medium. And if we've learned anything in the last 
25, 30 years of digital, it's that speed always wins. One of my favorite stats is for every second that a page takes to load, a web page, you lose about 20% of the audience after the first five seconds. So we're just extraordinarily impatient. The, the, the younger generation is even more impatient than, than you and I are. If you can do anything faster, it's going to win. And when we, when we start looking at these voice experiences, right? So take it, something we do, many of us, several times a month or even a week is trying to figure out what movie to go to. If you want to go to your app and figure out what movies are playing tonight and, and buy a movie ticket, it takes about two, two and a half minutes on average. If you could ask a, a device that, it takes four or five seconds, but you don't want to listen to Siri or Alexa list you know, movies with three, three showtimes. You and I experienced that when we were in college. It was called Movie Phone. Like, what you want is to see it on a screen and then say, all right, give me two tickets for Star Wars at 8 p.m. And so now you've taken something that takes two, three minutes to do today and you can do it in 10, 15, 20 seconds. And that's always going to win. And, you know, that's a, you know interesting consumer example. But when you start thinking about productivity at the workplace and how much time we all spend typing and how much more efficient that can become. And by the way, this is all powered by Gen AI. It's going to be, this is a really exciting time in terms of productivity in the white collar space, which is, which has lagged. Gotcha. So let's, let's bring in Gen AI because I'm, I'm thinking, you know, way back when I used Dragon Naturally Speaking and I loaded onto my computer and I had a thing and it, you know, kind of what, what has changed since then? And then let's add Gen AI. What has changed since 15 years ago when we had these voice recognition software. Yeah. So when you think about voice recognition is in a kind of human interface with devices, there are three things that have to happen. First is transcription, right? The machine has to turn the sounds that it hears into words. And then the second tent, like what does the user mean by that? And then the third is what's the response, the correct response. All three of those, but in particular, the first two are heavily informed and supported and pushed forward by large language models. So large language models at the end of the day are primarily just predictors of what the next word is that someone had would have said, right? It's, it's a giant prediction algorithm. And so they're incredibly good at if the transcription device today gets 90% of the sentence that you had spoken, it's incredibly good at then saying, you know what, if that was 90%, I can tell you with 99.99% accuracy, what the complete sentence was that was trying to set. And we're seeing that every day. I don't know if you've noticed, but if you're using Alexa or if you're using Siri, one of the things that's changed over the last years is you say something and then it kind of auto-corrects itself. It might take two or three seconds to do it, but that's really a large language model typically being applied to what you're saying to correct it. And so that is going to make one of the big frustrations for all of us has been at 90% accuracy, transcription isn't really good enough, right? Because then you have to spend all this time correcting it. And so large language models, Gen AI is going to get it much more accurate. And then the second piece is, you know, we all know this because Gen AI is so good at summarizing things. Figuring out what the intent is, is also going to get much more accurate. One of, the, one of the stats that Google released a few years ago is that in English, there are 4,000 different ways that people set their alarms, which you'd think is a, you'd think there were five ways. Wow, that that's crazy. Problem of human speech, right? And so that's where these large language models are so good. I see what you're saying. So let me try to uh, kind of rephrase it in my language. 
it's hard to get above 90% accuracy. But really what you care about is that the machine understands what you mean or what your intent is. And with large language models, we can extract that intent more accurately, even if we only get accuracy up to 90%. Is that gotcha? And what was the third phase? You said the fir- first step was, yeah. What was the third yeah. step? The third step is in how the machine responds. And okay. that's where we have to graduate from a voice response to a multimodal response. And you know, there's a ton of work being done right now in conversational design, but a big piece of it is what is the optimal response and what was the translating the intent of the user when they ask what movies are playing tonight that the machine knows, all right, this is basically an API call that's asking me show movies between the hours of you know 6 p.m. and 9 p.m., whatever it is. And so translating that and then figuring out what the optimal response is to that. And so that third piece is also heavily informed by large language models because some of that will be a fluid response, right? I think that one of the big changes that's going to happen in terms of computing is this concept of a fixed page being response is going to change and it's going to be much more optimized and personalized. And that's, again, an area where these Gen AI LLMs are so efficient. You say multi-mode and I'm here, I'm thinking of two modes. There's, I can either visual or auditory. Are there other modes? Yeah. So there's this whole concept of communication, you know, amongst humans, some depending on the analysis you look at and you believe, but somewhere between 50 and 75% of communication between humans when they're having a conversation is nonverbal. And we're getting there with machines, right? Like if you enter your password incorrectly, your phone vibrates. So that's a third, you know, that's a third mechanic or when you're talking. Yeah, exactly. And when you're talking you know, the Siri, the little line kind of changes color. That's visual, of course, but it's not text. So like there's a whole emerging set of communications between humans and devices. And what's really interesting to me is throughout history, communication has been a call and response mechanic, right? I say something, you respond, you say something, I respond. But with multimodal, you can be talking to your smartphone or your computer and it's reacting real time. And so now we have concurrent this emerging concurrent communication, which really tightens up the communication cycle even more. So as an example, you know, we've worked with one of the large pizza companies. We've, we're working on, a, on an app where as you speak, the pizza order is being assembled in the background on the app. And so when you have finished speaking, the order is finished, right? And so <laughs> you know, that, Love it. that's a whole new thing, right? Right. Our communication. So super exciting. Right. Wow. I want to ask you a question. I don't, I, I don't remember you writing about this. So I don't know if you have any kind of thought on it, but what about like nonverbal communication with machines, like just direct brain communication with machines? It's funny. If fa- Facebook meta actually did experiments on this a few years ago where they put nodes into people's heads who, who weren't able to speak. So that was the use case. And they were able to basically short circuit the whole need to to speak and and process thoughts directly into a machine action. So I think that's where we end up in, you know, 50, 100, 200 years. I think at least right now it requires a probe to be inserted into your brain, which I don't think most of us are, are ready to do. But that's obviously the the perfect state, right? If you don't even need to take your thought and translate it into speech. But why not in our lifetime? 
Yeah. Okay. 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 So I want to talk a little bit about the business implications of this. Who do you see wins or loses? Those could be industries. I know you write about when Apple and introduced the iPhone, how that led to the disruption of the of, of taxi cabs, and that's not something that you would immediately linearly predict. Well, who do you see winning and losing? Yeah. So I think as we've gotten used to over the last. 20 years, the big companies, the hyperscalers are going to be huge winners in this. I think Microsoft in particular is w- very well positioned because they bought Nuance. And so what's they, Nuance? Sorry. Nuance is the parent of Dragon. Ah, gotcha. <laughs> so Microsoft is extraordinarily well positioned because they have the leaders in speech and they have the leaders in you know, obviously Gen AI, and they are in the business of providing software. So they're platform agnostic, so they can provide, you know, technology across the system. So Microsoft's very well positioned, but as is, you know, Amazon, Apple, et cetera, they all have some strengths and weaknesses. Google, certainly when it comes into these platforms, I would say it's really hard to predict who the winners and losers in any industry are going to be. I would just say that It's a time where innovation is absolutely critical and how apps and websites, but particularly apps evolve to be voice first and how that, you know, becomes the first stop for customer service, for clients, for any company, I think is really, really important. You think about airlines, right? Most of our experience with our airline today is through the app that is going to get turbocharged through a voice first experience, right? If your flight changes, you're going to want to talk to your Delta app or your United or American Airlines or whatever app and say, hey, change my flight, do this and have that happen real time with your app versus having to talk to another human being. And you can use that example everywhere, wherever we are interacting with human beings whose job it is basically to be translators for a need into a system, which is a lot of what customer service does today, or the people that take your order at a quick serve restaurant, et cetera. They're basically just translating your order into a machine and that step is going to get eliminated. And that's why you see McDonald's, as, as an example, made huge investments in this space. So you may have already answered this, but just walk me through this scenario. I am a company, you know, I've got a company, I'm an airline, I'm a quick serve restaurant, I'm a car wash company, I'm a whatever, a publisher, and, and I bring you in and I say, all right, so where in my company should I be looking at leaning into voice or converting to voice? How do you, what's the work plan or the schema that you use to identify and prioritize the opportunities? Yeah, so there's several different use cases and, and, you know, in the book, we the whole second half of the book is about how to find these use cases and prioritize them. But I would put them in a couple really important categories. One is just pure efficiency. Where are humans interacting with a keyboard, right? And how do we make that more efficient? And so that's a huge category of use cases. The second is where are folks in the field or in their job not in a a non-ideal place to use a keyboard to enter information where they have to do that today, which basically causes an interruption. So for example, we work with a large um, beverage company. They've got tens of thousands of people in the field every day delivering sodas and repairing fountain machines, et cetera. They're working with their hands and it's much more efficient for them to interact with the systems, either like processing orders or ordering parts or finding where their next location is or how many cases of X they're supposed to deliver via voice-first experience than having to interrupt what they're doing by pulling up their app, which they do today. 
One of my favorite examples in the book is Cathay Pacific Airlines. They've got, you know, they try and turn a plane in eight minutes, got to get cleaned in eight minutes, people rushing through it. But those people see when there's a problem, right? Broken seat back, 8F. Today, they have to pull up their app, authenticate, blah, blah, blah. It takes them three to four minutes. In an eight-minute process, that's a real problem. They just launched a voice-first system where the cleaning crew can just process it using voice real-time while they're working. Obvious examples in law enforcement where you want your hands available, warehouse work, factory work, retail. There's a big push in retail to have their employees be able to check inventory via voice attendant. So, I mean, you just... You know, that's a whole class of use cases. There's a safety class of use cases where it's interacting with machines and they don't know exactly what's going on. The example we use in the book is one of them is Boeing accidents with the MAX 37 is, you know, that ultimately was pilots weren't able to interact with a device. They weren't able to shut off the autopilot and voice first experience would have immediately solved that. And that's not, you know, science fiction both the U.S. and the Russian Air Force now have voice-first cockpits that they're that are being tested and/or deployed, and so yeah, you talked about. I thought it was one thing that stuck out to me from what I read is that interactions that don't happen frequently, and you might forget how to what buttons to press. Those would be ones that would naturally be susceptible. Exactly. So that falls into the safety emergency yes, category, right, but it also right. falls into the apps we're using every day. The average banking app has over 300 pieces of functionality. How on earth can you organize efficiently 300 pieces of functionality on a smartphone screen, right? So, you know, if you have to reorder checks, as an example, and I ask you to use your favorite banking app to do that, your blood pressure would probably go up because you're like, this is going to be a nightmare to figure out how to do it. Pop probably in there somewhere, but that's a perfect use case where you just say, order me checks, and the system does it. Beautiful. Love it. Oh my God, I have 15 more questions and we don't have, we're at the top of our time with you. So let me just, I'm going to ask one more question and then I'm going to ask how can people continue connecting with you? Is there a past technological revolution or change or introduction that you use when you think of it as an analogy to what's happening here? To me, the best one is the advent of the smartphone. We talk a little bit about the internet, but the internet was such a big change and kind of came completely out of nowhere in a certain sense. But the smartphone is a good one because if you remember, we were the digital on mobile devices was around for a decade or more, right? We had WAP, which was very basic web browsers that we had in the late 90s already. Then we had our whole experience with BlackBerry that did certain things, but we only used it for certain things because the, the interface wasn't there. And then all of a sudden, the iPhone launched there was a new interface and it changed everything. And I think we are at that same point in voice right now where through the combination of conversational AI and gen AI that makes it good, but this concept of multimodal being recognized as the right interface, the right user interface is going to have as profound a change as mobile did. And I think it's easy in retrospect right now to say, oh my gosh, when the iPhone launched, the world changed. It didn't seem that way necessarily at the time thought, oh, now the iPod has, you know, phone functionality. And so I think that's where we are. And that's the best analogy. And just like you said, no one that day said, oh, my gosh, you know, Uber and Lyft are going to disrupt the taxi industry. But that took 48 months or whatever it was, those are the kind of things that are going to start happening real quickly. Yeah, it's brilliant. I think, yeah, you're, you're touching on something I've been thinking a lot about. I know Amy Webb wrote a, an endorsement for your book. She's been on the podcast. And what it kind of started, which, which been, and this is tangential, I guess, is 
this stuff is already happening. It's just we haven't named it yet. It's not like you're predicting what's going to happen. It's more recognizing what's already happening. No? Yeah, 100%. It's it's putting a name on it and categorizing it and allowing us to think about it as a phenomenon in and of its own right. And I think that's if, you know, that's how we need to think about it is we need to start really focusing on how can we use this technology? How can we use voice in our, in each of our companies and or start a new company? There's going to be so many opportunities. Awesome. Well, well, thank you for helping us put a name on it to help us get our head around it and learn what the opportunities are and threats are. In addition to buying your book, which I highly recommend people uh, buy, the, the Sound of the Future, The Coming Age of Voice Technology, how else can people continue to explore this with you, connect with you, learn with you? Yeah, the easiest way is either through our company website, which is willowtreeapps.com or on LinkedIn. I'm the only Tobias Dengel on LinkedIn. I'm Really? Oh, okay. Yeah, there's only, oh, there's only one of us right now. And so that's where I'm most active and love to connect with folks. Great. Well, Tobias, thank you so much for being here, for the work that you did to put this together. And I really think that you are opening up industries to something, as you say, that is happening now and allowing us to actually like name it fixate on it and plan for it. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I love your podcast and great to connect again. Yeah, it's great to see you. Thank you. Thank you to our guests. Thank you to our executive producer, Karina Reyes, our editor, Zach Ness, and the rest of the team. If you like what you heard, please follow, download, and subscribe. I'm your host, Kyan Krippendorf. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you soon with another episode of OutThinkers. Thinkers.